Hello and welcome to another episode of Sales is Not a Dirty Word. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. As always, I'm your show host, Alicia Barr, your revolutionary sales coach and creator of this inspiring podcast. You can check me out at aliciabar.com. Our podcast is all about alternative sales strategy, whether that's workshop, workshopping with people like you or meeting with other experts to bring you real help you can implement now. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how marketing and sales work together to increase revenue with Mike Maynard, the owner of Napier, a seven-figure marketing and PR company for B2B technology companies. Welcome to the big show. Sales is not a dirty word. Oh, thanks so much for having me on the show, Alicia. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you here and just listen to your lovely accent. It's like an American thing. Like we just really like it. Does, does mine sound good? Yeah, actually, actually, American accents uh, generally sound pretty good to us. And I, I shouldn't really say this, they're kind of New York, Boston, perhaps less so. But generally speaking, I think, you know, most most British people, we like the accent. It's pretty cool. All right, cool. I like to feel a little, I, I heard it's like not as cool because you guys are seeing Hollywood all the time. So you hear it all the time, but we don't get to hear other accents as much. No, absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's really, um, a different situation in the States. You, you've got so much media. You don't see so much of the English media. That's for sure. Yeah. Or English movies or English movies. No, I, I guess you get people like Hugh Grant occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but his his accent seems like it's so dulled at this point. Yeah, he's a Softened. bit transatlantic now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're not here to talk about accents, but had to be a stereotypical American. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so we're here to talk about um, marketing and sales at companies and how they so often don't talk to each other. And right before the uh, we started recording, Mike was telling me something very interesting um, about how when companies hire him, they're not even looking to increase their sales. <laughs> so explain to me more about that, because that's wild to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fun thing, and it's particularly related to larger companies. And let's be honest, actually, they do want to increase their sales. But the problem is, is the people who work with us sometimes they're, they're in a silo, they're fixed within a certain role. And so actually they're so far removed from sales that they're not me measuring us with any metrics that relate to sales or relate to revenue growth. And this is particularly true when we talk about PR. Um, and it, I think it's a real difficulty because when you have marketing people talking to salespeople, salespeople fundamentally measure how well they do in how much they sell. It's very simple. You know, if you're not selling anything, you're probably not doing a good job. If you're selling loads, you're probably doing a good job. You know, it, it's easy. Marketing is much harder. And the reason is, is because we're much further up the funnel or earlier in the customer journey, whichever terminology you prefer. Um, and we're so far away from the actual sale that we pick um, what I like to call intermediate metrics. So metrics that kind of give us an idea we're moving someone towards a sale, but we're not actually looking at that sale because it's so far away. Um, and sometimes that's wrong. You know, if we've got someone who's doing e-commerce, we should be measuring sales because marketing can directly influence sales. Um, but if we're looking at some of the other um, companies we work with, then maybe it's not so silly. If you think about one of our clients who make baggage handling systems for airports. Um, so they'll sell in a complete system to an airport. That sale might take them, you know, 10 or 15 years. 
Um, and to get into that cell, you've got to build that relationship really from day one when the airport starts planning a new terminal. Um, so marketing has got to work maybe 15 years before the sale happens. And if we had no metrics, nothing until that 15-year point, we wouldn't know whether we're doing a good job or not. So we use these, these metrics. And then being marketing people, we wrap them up in, in stupid jargon and abbreviations just to make sure we confuse the sales team, which is completely unhelpful. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, the sales team, like the lifelong debate, um, or what is it? opposition, animosity, I don't know, um, is that marketing doesn't do anything. They don't help in any way. They think that they're driving leads, but they're not. They're terrible leads. And, um, you know, marketing thinks that sales is awful at selling because they're generating all these leads and they're not closing the leads. Absolutely. It's, it's a really typical situation. And the problem is, is that we have, we have this customer. And this customer's going on a journey and they're starting off. Maybe they don't know much about the company. We've got to, you know, educate them about the company, get them interested, get them excited, get them to, you know, really want to talk to a salesperson. If you look at the research, that's about 70% of the journey before they talk to salespeople. Um, and then the salesperson's got to take them on this journey to the point where they, they become a customer. It's one journey. However, in companies, we go, well, that's one journey. So what we're going to do is we're going to have this group over here that does the first bit. We'll call them marketing. And then we'll get them to throw what's called a lead over the fence to this group we'll call sales. Let's do the last bit. And it all just worked perfectly. They won't need to talk to each other. They won't need to understand what's happening. It'll just be fine. And of course, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I've seen is that, um, well, first of all, marketing says that sales is lazy, which to be fair, I have seen firsthand many times. Um, I was even a bit of a lazy salesperson myself. I hated CRMs. Um, but you know, the, the issue, which we were kind of talking about beforehand is that, so when I had my marketing agency, when I worked with a new company, the first people, at least before I started marketing that I wanted to talk to were sales. Um, so marketing is looking at, Oh, look at all these leads we've generated, but they're not looking at was that lead the right person who would buy something. So like their metrics were off. Um, like they need to look at leads who were the right customer, who filled out the right form, the form, the correct way that meant that they were in the spot where they needed the, the business or something like that. Um, and that seems to be the main disconnect to me is that marketing is like focusing on quantity um, instead of quality, I guess, or even just like alignment. So I think you're absolutely right. That's the, the result of what happens. Um, and to be fair, this is often better in smaller companies where there's a lot um, more interaction between sales and marketing. But in big companies, you've got to, got to remember what people are tasked with. They're tasked with a particular marketing activity. And ultimately, there's someone in marketing who's tasked to get them to this, this wall that you throw the hand grenade over, which is the lead. Um, and all they're tasked with is form fills. And their boss will say, we need a thousand leads because sales have got this huge sales team we need a thousand leads to feed them and so marketing here is we need a thousand people filling the form and they create these leads and the leads are typically the right people you know they're in the right company for example quite often um so you're told um oh our business is addressing um education we want people who are in universities you know it's um IT people in universities, for example, and they're getting these people, but they're the wrong people. 
However, because you've got this wall between sales and marketing that both sides are built up, the lead's thrown across, and all you hear from sales is, that's rubbish. Um, and marketing go, okay, fine. Well, it met everything I was told to do, and I've got no idea why it's rubbish. You're not giving me any useful feedback. You don't fill in your CRM. Sorry, Alicia, you don't put in your CRM. It's not. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> they're, they're there. They're very helpful when used correctly. <laughs> and um, so, so marketing is going, well, what do I do? All I've got is my instruction to get people with an IT job title um, at universities. And, and, you know, actually what they're doing is, for example, they might be getting the, the people who do IT support, whereas the, the company needs to target network managers. Um but the marketing person might not know that and the salespeople aren't telling them and and both sides hate each other because they think they're doing a terrible job and both sides are are actually probably working quite hard to be successful um but it's it's so difficult and it's why you need to talk and you need to get away from both the argument side the adversarial we're better than you we work harder than you we deliver the value and you also need to get away from the jargon as well you know um because I can easily turn around to a salesperson and say, oh, well, yeah, you know, these are, you know, five MQLs in our ICPs and, and uh, you know, we build all the personas and the salesperson's going, look, look, this guy just isn't interested. I don't care what your abbreviations are. This guy doesn't, is not going to spend any money with me. I need people who can spend money and they look like Joe. And Joe here is the kind of guy who spends money. Um, and, and the guys in marketing are going, I've never met Joe. I've got no idea who Joe is, you know? Yeah. Um, and he left with this, this problem. And so I think getting that interaction, but it's got to be done by changing the language. Um, and I think marketing has got to explain what they're trying to do in simple, plain English. And sales have got to explain why what marketing is doing doesn't work. And when that happens, sometimes it's great. And sometimes it still falls apart. And this is the biggest challenge is even when you get them together, sometimes this interaction falls apart when people are trying to be positive. And the reason is, is that we've got this interface of leads, but sales often finds it quite difficult to, to really express why the lead is poor. They know the person's not relevant, they're not interested, but they find it quite different, difficult to say that. So, so sales will then say something like, well, you should do more Google ads. And marketing go, but that's stupid. It makes no sense in, in what I'm trying to do. And, and sales are trying to be helpful because they've seen their competitor do Google ads and they think their competitor's doing better. And by the way, every salesperson thinks that the marketing for their competitors does better than themselves. I've never met a salesperson who's Really, saying, that's funny. <laughs> it's, it's always the case. And it's because salespeople notice their competitors. I mean, it's, it's what they're tuned to do. Um, so you've got to go and talk about the lead and this person and really get down to why these people are not relevant. Um, and that can be quite difficult to understand for both sides. Um, but really focusing on that rather than trying to jump to answers too quickly is, is really the key. That is a fantastic point. So, um, I mean, do you find, and it's true, this is something that I deal with all the time, that it's a com basic communication issue is what you're explaining, um, and a lack of empathy, uh, which is a big part of the sales that helps any, I mean, anybody in life really, but definitely in sales. So being able to understand what the salesperson goes through and the salesperson being able to understand what the marketing person goes through will help them communicate what the other person needs to know. Um, so have you found that like a liaison of some sort, like let's say a CMO, or maybe if your company is there can translate between the two, have, have you had success with that? 
Well, that's a, a fantastic question because a few years ago, we saw the emergence of sales enablement as being a, a real trend. And I thought this is fantastic. We've got people who are going to enable the sales team. So one of the things you want to do if you want to enable the sales team is not waste their time with 50 leads that are completely irrelevant for the salesperson. They're not going to buy. So they're going to come in and they're going to be this, this interface. But it, it's actually turned out that sales enablement really typically has, has become a, a kind of function that takes work off the salespeople. They're part of the sales team. They're not at that interface. Um, and they, they almost become more like the sales team. So getting someone to sort of arbitrate, I think is good, but I think it's very hard to find someone with that role. Um, I mean, sales know was the nearest we got, and that never really happened in most companies. So it's got to be down to individual salespeople, individual marketing people, and certainly having an agency involved is good. You know, as, as an agency, it's fantastic. I mean, I run a, a small, but I run a sales team. Um, so I understand sales. Um, and I also understand if I don't get sales, I don't bill anything, the company's not got a future. So I can really get that in a way that someone who's just focused on a marketing a, a role or just focused on even an aspect of marketing, they're never going to quite get that. So I think bringing people in can help. But ultimately, it's got to be, you know, someone from either sales or marketing being prepared to just say, look, I, I, I don't understand. Just explain to me why this is a problem. And, and Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. Go ahead. <laughs> go on, go ahead. Go ahead, Alicia. <laughs> I was saying, I think it should be like the leader of the two, like the sales director and the CMO or like any good CMO should know that they, that they'll get who the audience is when they talk to the salesperson and who their real challenges are that they need to speak to. Because I've definitely seen cases where like, the marketing doesn't even know what the actual customer is trying to solve. Like they're off on the mark of the promise or whatever. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's certainly in, in manufacturing companies, you, you regularly see marketing people who've never met a customer. It's crazy. That you know? is so crazy. <laughs> but I think, I think the CMO and the VP of sales, that's a difficult dynamic to get to work together. Um, it would be perfect if there was never anything called company politics, but let's be honest, there's always company politics and they're always worse at the top. So I think it, it can be very difficult for someone at that level to go and say, look, I just don't understand. Just explain it to me. And so where I see it being successful is actually at much lower levels, more grassroots, where people are, you know, maybe they've got friendships with salespeople or maybe they have a chance to meet them and, and they just say, look, just explain it to me. And they can say that without feeling that they've damaged their ego um, that, that you're going to have when you get to the higher levels. Um, and they can actually get those answers and start building that rapport. And I think that's really what happens. And I'd love to say there's a, there's a strategic way to approach it, but there's not. I mean, and the grassroots approach is really the best. So have you seen this happen before? Absolutely. Yeah. So okay. um, we see it happen in, in a lot of companies. And, and I think there's there's very different situations. Um, so in small companies, you know, where, where you're talking about, um, you know, a, a small number of people from one up to maybe um, 30 or 40 people in the company, you know, th there's probably a few salespeople um, and then one person doing marketing. And that person really is going to have a close relationship with sales. 
Um, because typically they report to sales, there's no one else for them to report into. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> right. Let's be honest, in a smaller company, where are you going to put the marketing person? It's going to go into sales because yeah. it's in the <laughs> department. Yeah. And that actually is a great thing. Um, and I've worked in marketing reporting into sales, and it's fantastic. Um, and, and getting brutal feedback about what works and what doesn't work is actually really good because you can then make it better and and even the, the most hardened salespeople, ultimately, they'll kind of come to you quietly and go, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot better now. They'll then walk into the sales meeting and say, I did everything and marketing didn't do anything. But, you know, I, quietly, they'll, they'll tell you you're doing okay. But then as you get to bigger companies, you get more and more siloed. And I think this is, this is a really interesting challenge. And in some companies, there's, there's, there appears to be, you know, far less of a focus on building walls between departments. Um, and other companies, they seem to build a lot of walls. And I don't know why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see, you know, we, we've got one company we work with who's a multi-billion dollar company. Um, and, you know, I, I sat on a call with them today. And literally the European um, marketing leader, she was talking about how she talked to sales about what they needed and how to drive it and what support they wanted and what customers. And, and she was amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Because... You know, she, she's got no um, kind of ego around saying, I'm going to do it and this is the right way and you deal with my leads, they're fine. She's absolutely wanting to understand that. And we'll see other companies the same size who theoretically should be fairly similar and there'll be huge barriers and they'll just go, well, you know, this is my role and, you know, I know these salespeople, I talk to them, but ask them what they want. No, I never do that. I, I don't know why. It's a company culture thing. Yeah, I mean... I think you touched on something that is the main reason that I left um, large corporations is that uh, so many decisions were based on something other than moving the company forward. Uh, They were based on ego and politics and it's a really frustrating environment to be in if your goal is to actually, you know, do something quality. Um, (laughs) So in big companies, I think it is a lot harder to maintain the culture Uh, that they might've had in the beginning, especially if the person leading it, their sole goal is like, how much money can I make? Um, Then there's not going to be much of that culture or that care for how the culture works together, even though it is ultimately in the best interest of the company. I guess it kind of feels like fuzzy and touchy feely or something. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, big companies (laughs) like, like things to be very controlled. Um, and, and if you look at, you know, if you look at how startups are run, they're, they're, they're run and, and, um, and there's a great book by Ben Horowitz that talks about the wartime CEO and the peacetime CEO. And the wartime CEO is one who's going out, taking risks, doing stuff, breaking rules, you know, all the rest of it. Um, and that's a startup and that's exciting. And I, I love that small company. I absolutely love it. Big companies, that would be a disaster. I mean, if you have a big company with, you know, a hundred thousand people all going off and doing what they want, I mean, that, that's clearly not going to work. So Big companies, these peacetime CEOs that are much more about order and planning and strategy. And within that planning, what you want to do is you want to say to almost every individual in the company, this is your role. This is this is what you do as a cog. And this is the next thing you turn. And this is how we measure how well you're turning it. And that's great. And it's good for management and keeping things in the status quo. But it's terrible for looking holistically along a customer journey. Um, and I think that that is a big problem with big companies is that they're all about maintenance rather than improvement or innovation. Um, and I know a lot of big companies would 
would point to areas where they, they are innovating, but fundamentally the management style is what I mean. The way management is run is about, you know, making sure this massive machine doesn't break um, because it's such a huge machine, it would be impossible to fix. It's so true. And there usually are a lot of inefficiencies um, at larger companies, like wasted money that's just like leaking out everywhere. I feel like, like um, maybe people in positions that don't need to be there um, spend on certain things that don't need to happen and nobody's really like monitoring them. And it's just like a cost of being a big business. They just sort of like make peace with the fact that there's a bunch of wasted budget. This, I, I mean, I think that the problem is, is it's easier to spot that wasted budget in a big company. Um, so I'm always, I'm always very aware that our multi-billion dollar clients are actually making huge amounts of money, way more than we're making at Napier. So, so to, to say anything critical is, is, is very difficult. But I think, you know, the reality yeah. is that if, if 1% of my agency isn't working well, you know, maybe somebody's not busy on a Monday and Tuesday afternoon. Um, you know, if 1% of a company that's got 100,000 people working for them isn't working well, that's a 1,000 people in a job that's not needed. Um, and, and it's just so obvious in those big companies. Um, and that's why they try and get everyone with individual goals so they can actually show that they're all contributing to moving that machine forward. And it, it's, it's probably the right way to manage a big company. I mean, I think people are almost naturally have a big company or a small company preference in terms of how they want to be managed and how they want things to run. And I'd like to think I'm reasonably good at running a small company. I'd probably be terrible in a big company. Um, and, and so I'd come in with all these things and I'd be changing ideas and I'd change direction. And, and, and you just can't do that with a giant organization. So, uh, you know, working in a small company, absolutely. I love it. I think it's, it's much better. I wouldn't want to work in a big company, but Equally, I'm not sure I want to necessarily be too critical. There's wastage and there's artificial barriers. There's lack of cooperation. There's all these things, but maybe it's necessary. I don't know if I think it's necessary, but I think that it's one of those 80-20 rules, you know, where like you need to focus your time and attention on the things that make the biggest impact. So like you kind of yeah. let the, the other stuff just not stress. It's hard to do everything. Um, but it sounds like a really good solution is bringing in a third party like you who doesn't have any kind of office politics or ego in the matter and is just really trying to bridge the gap between um, marketing and sales. So do you ever ask, you know, can I talk to sales? Um, so firstly, yes, we do. Um, I think also, and, and this is something that's going to horrify salespeople when I say this, but we also bridge the gap between marketing and marketing. Um, and it's something we often talk about with with larger clients is, you know, people are in these little silos of activity. And actually, you have, you know, kind of these these um, campaigns being thrown over the wall from one stage to another. And, and it doesn't necessarily all integrate even within the marketing department in a big company. So we actually talk about breaking down silos in marketing teams, as well as, um, you know, looking at what salespeople do. And we can go in with absolutely you know, no ego, no pretense of knowing things and talk to salespeople and go, we've got no clue. Tell us, tell us who your customers are. Um, and that's much easier for us to do than it is for someone internally who's worked for the company for five years, say. And I appreciate it. It's easier for us. It, it's, a, you know, it's actually a great um, way for us to start off is talk not only to marketing, but also to sales. And we quite often do that. I mean, you know, we're working in a whole range of projects. We've got one, one client who's a 
I mean, they're not billions of dollars, they're tens of billions of dollars, gigantic company. Um, and and you, you'd want to point to them as being, you know, like these guys have got to be the worst because they're so huge. They've got to be incredibly divided. I mean, we're working on a project with marketing and we're literally reviewing it every two weeks with sales. Um, and it, it's a tool to help sales generate reports that marketing's um, working on. It, it, it's fantastic. We get sales feedback and we're talking to the sales manager and he's uh, then bringing in feedback from his team. And it's amazing. I mean, it, it's it's tough because that, I'll be honest, salespeople can be very demanding. Um, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> you know, we, we, we know what we're doing uh, because we're being told what to do. And we're being told very, very clearly. And I think, you know, you can absolutely do this at all levels. And, and I totally agree that big companies tend to be more bureaucratic and more difficult. But this is, you know, one, one example that shows it doesn't have to be that way. I love that. And I mean, that is a, a great point that you make, like salespeople's personalities are often what's causing the rift with marketing, just because, um, I don't know, there's definitely sales divas. They're like the loudest on the sales teams. Um, so oftentimes that can be what's demanding. Like the person who's like, I don't want to just give me the calls and I'll close the deals and I'll make tons of money. And I don't want to do anything else and don't bother me. And this is what I need. And that's the end. So, um, being able to filter that in is like with a grain of salt <laughs> and, and talking to everybody, not just that, you know, was one or two people that are like pretty cutthroat and, uh, demanding or whatever, um, would help a lot to get a better whole view. And like, basically like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. So there's a couple demanding, difficult people. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good people. And those demanding, difficult people, like if they're saying something there, there's a pattern with the others, you know, that's definitely something to, to listen to too. But I mean, you, you touch on something great is like being prepared to like, not take that personally and how to filter that and use it constructively for marketing. Yeah. And I can say this because none of my, my marketing friends are going to be listening to this because it's a sales podcast. So I'm fine. There's marketing divas too. Um, you know, believe me, there's a guy with a ponytail called Tristan who thinks his design is brilliant and he will not listen um, when you, you even within marketing, you test two ads and his ad isn't as good. He just won't believe it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's that guy. There's the guys who do digital. I, I mean, everyone's got an ego, I think. I think the difference is, is that the sales communication style internally tends to be more aggressive. Um, and let's be honest, you know, salespeople are under more pressure. They've got to be stronger in terms of fighting back um, but also you know in a way it's kind of interesting because when they're measured they're measured on revenue and typically revenue is revenue um, and if i get you know a thousand dollars from company a that's as good as a thousand dollars from company b in general um, whereas marketing it's very qualitative and particularly sales leads you know you can produce sales leads they're they're sales leads they're people who've done something that makes them a lead but actually the quality really matters. And I think that's a big problem is you've got a sales team that are very focused on, on very measurable things, trying to then talk about something very soft and qualitative with a department they don't really understand who uses all this jargon and acronyms that, that make no sense to them and never even think about revenue, which is the, let's be honest, the most important thing in the company. It, it's really hard. You've got this, this, this really difficult situation. And that's why, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, getting the, the VP of sales and the CMO together isn't a good thing. It is a good thing, but it's not going to solve the problem. 
It's individual. I feel like it comes down to the CMO, not really the VP of sales. I understand that the VP of sales might have an ego issue with the CMO talking to the sales team without the VP. But like, I think it comes down to the CMO explaining to everybody what piece they have and how it plays into the customer journey and why it matters. And like really noticing what, like making the measuring stick a little, um, different than just like a percentage increase in click-through rate or whatever, you know, like looking more at the quality of it. So like we've worked with, um, appointment setters or marketing before, for example. And so we will bonus based on the amount of leads or appointments that turn into a sale. Mm -hmm. So they're incentivized to make sure it's a good lead because when you don't have any reason to make sure, why would you? So that, that's a really interesting thing. And I, I think from the marketing point of view, it's not necessarily the CMO. And, and one of the big problems is if you bonus somebody based upon um, leads that turn into sales, you then get a problem that marketing people want to work with particular salespeople because they know that the better salespeople will have a much higher conversion rate and they will get paid more money for doing exactly the same work. Um, and I think this is... You know, leads, we could talk forever about leads. You know, lead, leads are amazing. Um, you know, you, you can send a lead to a salesperson, I'll just go back, that's terrible. And you'll say, this company spends $100 million with our competitor. You can't get any of that business. I go, that's terrible. And, and, and you're stuck there and you think, well, this is crazy. This is, this is the perfect lead. $100 million is spent. I know it's there. And then you find out that actually, this particular person's brother works for the supplier, you know, and, and, and that's it. You know, you're never going to get the business. Um, so it's really hard to bonus marketing people purely on the sales results because there's so many no. in between. Well, it would be a bonus, right? Not like the full, and it would be yeah. the people that are more directly related to the actual leads. Um, yeah. And it would have to be round robin. It can't be to one salesperson. Um, and of course luck kind of plays into it, but that's the case for salespeople too. Like, did they get good leads? It's sometimes just luck. Uh, yeah. And as a marketing person, I have to use the marketing's general response to any, any comment about how poor salespeople are is that's why they get paid the big bucks. <laughs> and I think, you know, to some extent, that's why salespeople are more brash internally is because they know that their success depends upon getting the best leads or getting the best appointment set. Um, I mean, typically in marketing, actually marketing is very different from sales. Sales people are typically motivated by individual bonuses. Marketing people are typically motivated by team bonuses. Um, and so I think absolutely, if you're going to bonus uh, marketing on ultimately sales generated, doing it as a team is, is often much more effective. Yeah, I could see that it would like you know, solve that issue of the silos in the marketing. Like I know what you're talking about, the SEO team and then the Google ads team and then the display team and the social team. And even the social team can be broken up in between teams <laughs> with the different <laughs> platforms. There's the video team. Um, yeah. So when they all have to work together because they want this big bonus, it's a driver. Yeah. And, and, and it's really hard. I mean, if you look at marketing, salespeople be horrified at this. Um, salespeople know who made the sale. That's easy. Marketing people don't know who drove the sale. And we talk about attribution. Attribution is a, you know, a big thing, which is how much of the sale can we attribute to different activities? And it's like, you know, this guy received six emails. He clicked on two Google ads and clicked on one banner ad. 
I'm going to say that the emails were worth 20%, the Google ads were worth 70%, and um, the banner ad was worth 10% because I happen to be in Google ads, and I think it's important. There's no way to assign what you're doing in marketing, which is inherently something that's got to have multiple touches to be effective. Um, very rarely will anyone see any kind of marketing material and go, I'm going to spend money on that, and particularly in the B2B setting. They just won't um, spend money without seeing lots and lots of uh, different uh, pieces of content that relate to it, whether it's adverts, whether it's um, articles in the magazine, whether it's um, websites, you know, whatever it is, they need to see multiple things to move them through that journey. And yeah, nobody it, knows, sorry, I, I was it, just going to say, nobody knows how influential each of those bits are, because the answer is, actually, if any of them completely breaks, probably that person doesn't buy. So they're all 100%, but you can't make, make, you know, attribution add up to 500%. Yeah. Whenever we ran like, um, you know, any kind of campaign that was paid, we always kept an eye on an increase in organic traffic because it almost always ends up looking like them Googling and going to the site and like organic is just on fire, but it's because we did this video campaign or this banner campaign or whatever. Yeah. And, and I mean, Google ads are, sometimes horrific in the way they're used. Um, so I'll give you a great example. Um, I'm running a Google Ads campaign and I'm running it for you know Widget Inc's um, online shop. Um, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna run a Google ad and I'm gonna bid you know on things like Widget. So be a broad match on uh, Widget. Now Google is gonna see that and go, Widget Inc online shop as a search is related to Widget. So I'm gonna start serving ads for people who search for the online shop. And I'm gonna optimize for people who buy on the online shop. Now, Google is very rapidly gonna see people who search for the online shop are looking to spend money and spend money. So they keep pumping the ads towards these people with this search term. And that's great. And your campaign looks amazing because you're selling all this stuff online to these people through these Google ads. It's clearly brilliant. It's not. These people were searching for the shop in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't need to put the ad in. And I think, you know, this, this, is, this is a huge problem with, with, with a lot of the, you know, online stuff is you get numbers and if you take them at face value, it's really hard to, to say that is valuable information. You know, even people who clicked on this ad, spent this much money can be completely meaningless if you're bidding on people searching for your online shop. Um, so this is a problem and and this is again why i get frustrated with the the jargon and the the these intermediate metrics is we need to use remarketing but you know two things firstly we need to make sure that the numbers are actually telling us what we think that they're telling us and secondly we absolutely need to make sure we explain it in plain language when we talk to other people well you make a great point and that is why people think that marketing is a dirty word because <laughs> marketers can manipulate the numbers to say whatever they want and the business owner or sales is like, I don't know what you're saying and I don't care because sales are not going up. <laughs> and the marketers are like, but there's been this increase in like, you know, reach and you're, you're in front of more people than ever. And you know, that kind of thing. So that is yeah. why I think marketing gets um, a bad name, especially agencies. When people are looking to hire agencies, a lot of times that's what happens is the agency is manipulating the report. So they look good instead of, and, and the person, the owner of is like, I'm now I'm not crazy. 
And, and I think the the owner, particularly in that situation, and and for for smaller businesses, I think using agencies can be brilliant because agencies can really give you knowledge and expertise that you could never have with a very small business. But it can also be terrible because there are agencies that don't do the right thing and they don't take the time to understand the business. They don't take the time. They just they just say, right, we want to get this many clicks to the website. You know, you're in management consultancy. We'll, we'll just get clicks based on searches to the website. And if your management consultancy happens to be in a particular niche, which almost certainly is a smaller business you are, you're, you're probably very specialist and particularly expert on one area. If they get clicks from any other area of management consultancy, it's a waste of time. Um, and I think that is really difficult. And the only way to fix that is for the owner to really drill down and talk to the agency. And this is, this is going to be a particular viewpoint of mine. Agencies need to talk to the owner. Or if we're in marketing and talking to larger companies, talk to the sales team about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and why they think it's working. Um, because there are agencies out there that just go, no, it's our secret. We can't tell you how it works. And, and I can tell you that that's awful. That's so wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. That's a good stopping point for us. And so we've reached the end of yet another episode of sales is not a dirty word. This was the podcast about how marketing is not a dirty word either. And we've been talking about how marketing and sales work together to increase revenue with Mike Maynard. Thanks again, Mike, for making an appearance as our guest today. Thanks so much, Alicia. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. And Mike, can you tell everyone how they can find out more about you and how they can work with you? Absolutely. So um, our website is napierb2b.com. We focus on B2B, so clearly that's, um, that's uh, in the URL. Um, we uh, also available on LinkedIn. So just search me, Mike Maynard. Um, on LinkedIn, I'm the one who's uh, running Napier. Um, or if anyone just wants to email me direct and they've got questions, I actually really enjoy talking to salespeople. I, I, I have been a salesperson in the past, so um, you're very welcome to email me, mike at napierb2b.com. Cool. I like the idea of them maybe like reaching out and asking, how do I have this conversation and am I crazy here? And um, that's very generous of you, Mike. So Finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been the sales is not a dirty word podcast. We show you how to win up to 80% of the people you talk to without pain pitching or pretending to be somebody else.